Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a weekly podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host Alan Tolhurst and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the biggest political stories with fellow Politics Home reporters and special guests from across Westminster. Joining me this week is our political editor Adam Payne, along with Sarah Olney, Liberal Democrat MP for Richmond Park, and Labour Shadow Minister Stephanie Peacock, the MP for Barnsley East. It's been another busy week. I feel like I say at the start of every podcast that it's been another busy week, but this week has particularly been uh, pretty frantic. And we're now, just as we're coming on to record this, finding out the details of the Prime Minister's advisor on ministerial interest, Lord Guite, his reasons for resigning. But let's go back to the start of the week, and this might be linked. The government announced their proposals to uh, disrupt the Northern Ireland Protocol. So Adam, where kind of are we now on, on that kind of process? Oh, yeah, it's, it's been a week, hasn't it? I was just saying, <laughs> I was just saying that before, before coming on, but then, then again, I think we say that sort of towards the end of every week. Um, yeah, so, so I guess this week kicked off with something we've been expecting for a few weeks, but I think the actual content of of, of the Northern Ireland Protocol legislation took most people by surprise just by how hard and sort of full fat um the sort of full fat approach taken by government so obviously the government for a few weeks has said that uh after 18 months of negotiations with the eu we're not really getting anywhere in terms of changing how the Northern Ireland protocol works their argument being that at the moment it's um too intrusive yeah uh, in 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 into um the lives of Northern Irish business and, and, and it poses a threat to unionist sense of belonging in the United Kingdom. Um, so they published this bill on Monday and um, I think words like explosive often get thrown around in, in politics perhaps um, too generously but this was um, an incredibly expl- explosive piece of legislation. We've had Jonathan Jones, the former head of the government legal department, actually write for us this week for the House saying it's the most extraordinary piece of legislation he's ever seen. And the bill essentially, it's you know, there's lots of legal jargon and technicality within it, but ultimately it gives ministers the power, the powers, I should say, to scrap most of the protocol. Right. What was agreed in Brexit talks implemented early last year, ministers will have the power unilaterally without agreement with the EU just to do away uh, with most of it. Now, why is this explosive? Why is this controversial? Because although the, go- the government insists otherwise, there are widespread um, criticism that this is going to this would break international law, former sort of legal boffins including Jonathan Jones have said as much I know that uh, opposition parties who are represented here today with us uh, argue that um, as well so that kind of got the week off to a yeah <laughs> it kind of set the tone for the week I, I, I think because also we had this wider conversation about you know is, is this a government which is completely serious about adhering to the law and, and that is a theme which ru- runs into the Rwanda story yeah. as well which I think yeah, just but just quickly before we get on to that, so where obviously there was first reading earlier yeah. this week, the, this obviously was delayed anyway. Is what's the likelihood that we're going to get it back in any meaningful form in Parliament before summer recess, or, or you know, is it going to be delayed further? How actually close are we to seeing these changes to the protocol actually come into force? Well, do you know what, Alan? I think that was my big takeaway from all of this, having gone to the lobby briefing on it, having been briefed on it by an official from government and having spoken to people in and around government. The government argues that they're doing this because this is urgent. You need to do something now. But, 
yesterday the Prime Minister's spokesperson wouldn't commit to a second reading before summer recess. Yeah. So you're potentially looking at second reading in September, maybe early autumn. It's going to get sledgehammered in the Lords, absolutely sledgehammered. Uh, there's going to be some sort of Tory rebellion. Will it be big enough to defeat the government? Probably not, I reckon, about 2025. But let's see. It's very, very early days. Um, and then even if the bill gets passed, all that does is give the ministers the powers to do these things. These changes don't come in immediately. Yeah. And... It's been confirmed to me and others, other journalists, that the systems needed to deliver this, let's call it new protocol, amended protocol, aren't ready yet. Like the civil service has to build these things like this green lane and red lane, which I won't you know, punish our listeners by going into the details of that. But the green lane, red lane actually needs building. So we don't really have an idea of how long that's going to take. So I don't think it's unrealistic to say that if this bill is passed and implemented in the sense, you know, it has an, a tangible effect on the ground in at the ports in, you know, in Belfast, Larne, Warren Point. It might not be till next year, like 2023. So draw conclusions, whatever conclusions you have from one. But like, even though the government argues it, it's urgent, that's not really reflected in the process which awaits was in, in, in terms of, of, um, of this bill. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And obviously, you know, like you say, it was linked somewhat to uh, the other big story um, that we heard earlier this week, the, the aborted flight of relocating migrants to Rwanda. And obviously the government are still unsure as to whether the last minute ruling by the European Court of Human Rights is going to prevent further flights. Obviously, we then had an urgent question on it yesterday, a statement from the, from Priti Patel. Uh, Steph, on what's Labour's position on the Rwanda um policy and what do you think you're going to see from the government in terms of moving this on now well you know we've consistently said not only is it morally wrong but it's completely unworkable and incredibly costly and if you look at where this has been tried in other parts of the world in australia for example it's estimated that it costs something like a million pounds per person right. uh, they need to cut back to the table and try and come up with a workable solution with the french government mm. sarah what's the lib dems sort of feeling about this uh, absolutely echoing uh, Steph there. I mean, it, it, it's always been immoral. And I think it's really important that people understand that what's being proposed here is not taking immigrants to another country to process their applications. The tension is that they stay in Rwanda, that they apply for asylum in Rwanda. And that's what's immoral. There are lots of reasons why people come to this country and apply for asylum here and it's completely legitimate for them to do so regardless of how they arrive um and and that and i think you know what steph was saying about this being an unworkable policy that's exactly what we've seen it is in in many different areas it is illegal it's against international law the law has been tested this week in various courts and that's what's been found there's still more court cases to come what we've seen this week i think is uh, individuals um you know appealing against the decision uh, there is a bigger court case i think to come about uh testing the whole policy yeah there's a judicial review going yes. through the courts at the moment which yes. is a decision probably next month i think yeah and I, obviously i don't want to preempt that but uh, you know i i guess i have a, a view as to <laughs> what that might find yeah. but i think the whole point is it's 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 not going to work it's not deterring uh, people from coming here in in boats across the channel as we've seen we've seen several hundred new arrivals this week yeah. um i think actually on the day that the plane was supposed to take off i think it was about 450 people had were, were brought across and, and you know in the plane yeah. was only ever going to take 31 in the end it yes. got down to about seven so that's not really if you can do the math there it's not a huge yes, exactly uh, so it's not a deterrent it's not working uh, so the the policy is 
appears to be failing on its own terms right now. But, you know, added to that, it also appears to be unlawful. Uh, It's just they just need to scrap this. What's really needed and what the Lib Dems have been calling for for a long time is a safe passage for refugees. And then when they get there, we need much quicker processing. I have uh, people living in my constituency who have been waiting over two years for decisions from the Home Office. And that has slowed right down since Afghanistan in August, since the situation in Ukraine, because resources are being redirected towards those particular crises. Um, and, and, And while they're waiting, they can't earn, they can't apply for benefits. It's it's a terrible situation for people to be in. Um, and I am very anxious on behalf of those people for their welfare. But also, if they're not entitled to be here, let's make a quick decision yeah. and, and you know, it's send them on the, the way. Because the government's point of view is that, that, that you know, this is, um, even if they only, they were, they were willing to send the flight, you know, they just had a couple of people on it, because they, they would think it's the principle of the policy. And there's a lot of feeling, if you speak to in Westminster, that it's a sort of a fight that the government want to have. And this idea that it's popular in lots of Tory supporting areas, it's popular like in the Red Wall. Um, one of the reasons we wanted both of you on today was to talk about the by-elections next week. One of them is in Wakefield, a, a sort of a Red Wall seat that the Tories won in 2019, Steph. Do you, you think that this, the Rwanda stuff, this kind of idea of it being a wedge issue, is it popular in places like Wakefield? Or do you think that the government has sort of misjudged how popular these sorts of you know quite tough immigration policies are? I mean... I've not had it come up on the doorstep in Wakefield and I've I've spent quite a lot of time knocking on doors there and indeed I represent Barnsley just down the road from Wakefield. I don't think I've had a single email in favour of the policy. Right. I have had a number against it and I think people can see it for what it is, it is and it is costly and it's unworkable and they want the government uh, to sort of stop distracting and to deal with the actual issue. Right, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was just going to say, Alan, that I'm just, I'm just sort of writing down the things we've had this week and we've had the protocol on Monday. Yeah. So, you know, it's about let's reignite the Brexit wars, baby. Let's do it again. And then we've got <laughs> Rwanda and you, you've got, you know, it's about immigration. It's about these lefty European judges who are, you know, not, not yep. letting us crack on with our with our sovereignty. And it's worth saying that the Prime Minister's spokesperson yesterday was asked directly by a colleague, is this just like... A, a wedge wedge issue week is yeah. about wedge week yes wedge week I, that's quite difficult to say actually uh, especially at that speed um is, is this is this just about is this you know a government that's it's backed against the wall its cost of living measures haven't really landed pm's in trouble so you're just sort of choosing issues which sort of uh rally people behind you it, it divides people it sort of separates people um into camps and the pm's box has denied that said no these are important things that that need um dealing with but uh, it feels that well if it is just coincidental that these things are all happening on the, <laughs> on, 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 on the same week then i just wanted to pick up on what uh, on what steph was saying about reaction on the doorstep i spent a lovely afternoon in honiton yesterday Lucky and i you was in the weather. speaking yeah. to i know i was out in the uh, in the cafe outdoor cafe of a garden center with a honiton carers network and they were talking to to myself and to our candidate down there about immigration. That's one of their big concerns. They're all Tory voters. They're big Boris fans. So they were not our <laughs> natural constituency. But we had a very, very good-natured conversation on the subject of immigration and about their concerns uh, and an exchange of views. But at the end of that, they were all like, but we don't agree with the Rwanda policy. So right. I thought that was really interesting. These are exactly the voters that I think Boris is trying to appeal to with this sort of policy. But even they 
don't like the idea no. of, of the Rwanda also, policy. So it, I think, like I say, issue, really failing, not just on its own terms, but I don't think it's even appealing to the people it's meant to appeal no, to. No, but I think part of the issue as well is if you don't actually deliver on it, you know, if you say you're going to do something, and I think actually one of the things we've picked up a lot since the um, vote of no confidence last week from disaffected Tory MPs is that just get on with doing stuff now. You've bought yourself some time, go and deliver something. So they've announced this splashy policy, it's controversial. Then they've rushed it through and then it hasn't worked. It, you know, the flight didn't take off. So therefore, it's annoyed people who don't like the policy. And the people who do like the policy are annoyed that you haven't actually done anything. And, and I just wonder if that's, again, going back to you, Steph, like, is that something that you've you've noticed that people are just a bit, that, you know, they moved away from voting Labour in 2019 to the Tories for the first time. Is it a bit sort of like once bitten, twice shy? Do they feel that they've not got good value for that vote and therefore want to move back to their more traditional home of, of Labour? Well, I think they do feel completely let down by this government. Remember, they've been without an MP for over a year in Wakefield. They've yeah. not had that uh, person standing up for them and for their community. And they look at the promises this government have made across the board and they're not seeing it. They're not seeing the government deliver and they're seeing a government lurch from sort of crisis to crisis with these sort of this attempt to distract. Mm. Uh, yeah, you're just looking at the odds this morning. I think Labour are currently one to a hundred in Wakefield, so it's quite a good. <laughs> you have to lose. Yeah, it's quite good. Uh, Lib Dems, you're, you're one to four, one to five, I think. Which is I gotta which is, say, which is pretty remarkable given that it was a twenty-four thousand majority, and you were in third know, place in twenty nineteen. I know. I know. I've got to say, the odds do not reflect the size of the challenge in Tiverton. Um, right. Um, I think if we were to win next week, you know, it would be the biggest swing in a by-election since. I think it's Liverpool. What's the last one since Northampton? No, 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 because it's actually much bigger. So since the 19th, no one has overturned a majority of that size since the 1930s. That's how big we're talking about. Liverpool Riverside? Liverpool Riverside, that's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, and so the odds really don't reflect the scale of the challenge that we are facing in Tiverton. We're having a really good campaign. There's a lot of support for us on the doorsteps. We've got a wonderful candidate. It was a real pleasure to spend some time with him yesterday um and there's, there's a lot of people who voted tory in 2019 who just don't want to vote tory yeah this time in this by-election uh, they feel very let down um, and it's a much broader range of issues than just party gate i mean obviously that's what the westminster chat has all been about but there is a fundamental loss of trust and that and party gate kind of represents that as much as anything but certainly these farming communities yeah. they are feeling very let down the new payment system is is uh, is very difficult for them the trade agreements they think act in their they don't act in their best interests and they don't feel like the the brexit that they were sold is really being delivered by this government and that's what that's what they trusted them to do so there, there is a big broad range of issues and not to mention things like um ambulance waiting times uh, in the southwest are the worst in the country um and and a lot of these issues that we're talking about rwanda northern ireland protocol it's not really addressing the things that people are experiencing on the ground and i think the biggest thing not just in devon but all over the country is labor shortages in key industries and as i mentioned i was talking to a group of carers yesterday and they really see that like the lack of um availability in, in the healthcare system and, and in social care now and that all comes back to uh, um, a lack of uh, of labor uh, and we see that you know for, there's lots of different reasons why that's happening um, but it's those real issues on the ground and I haven't even talked about the cost of living crisis right, which is exactly, yeah, huge and it's a real problem yeah, for people exactly the the cost of a weekly shop has gone up by about an average 25 pound a household in the last year but in that time the average wage in Devon has dropped by about 65 pound a week 
week. So that's a real pressure. So when we're talking about Rwanda or Northern Ireland or, you know, any of these other things, it just is not landing with people because it's not really. So I think what we're really seeing in, in Tiverton and Honiton is a real lack of, um, uh, you know, engagement with politics. It's simply not answering their needs at the moment. I mean, what I say about, about Wakefield is it's been written up sort of by the media as this sort of post-industrial red wall sea. Actually, it's always been pretty marginal. Yeah. The, the last election, the majority was the biggest majority any winning candidates had in that seat since 2005. I think it was just over a thousand in 2010. And you've got the city of Wakefield, but you've also got, you know, it actually it's quite a big constituency. It brings in places like Horbury and Osset, areas the constituency of sort of regularly return can, can Conservative councillors, and and so you know, I think we've also got to remember, you know, Labour hasn't won a by-election. Or, well, I think we've won one by-election in the last <laughs> twenty-five years, or one back a seat, I should say. Uh, and so I think that's the context in which this is taking place. But I, you know, I echo the points that, that Sarah have made about what we're hearing on the doorstep, and that is people feeling really let down by this government, and they just don't simply they don't think they've got the, the ideas and the answers to the issues that they're facing every day. That's interesting, Steph, because the point you make about this being traditionally a marginal seat, because had that poll that came out was it last month from JL Partners our friends at JL Partners uh, who put who put Labour 20 points ahead (laughs) (laughs) Um, are you seeing that on the doorstep Steph I mean constituency polls are always uh, uh, notoriously a little bit unreliable I mean take the Hayward and Middleton by election I think about 10 years ago that put us 19 points ahead and we won with 600 votes I think the only poll that matters is next week and you know we are certainly hearing positive stories on the doorstep we are hearing people come back to Labour uh, and we are hearing people really let down down with this government and and so you know people have got the opportunity to really send a message to the government and to Boris Johnson that they aren't happy with them Well since you're on a a broader note then because if if Labour win back those sort of seats and if the, if Lib Dems win somewhere in Devon, which has been a traditional sort of heartland down in the southwest, is that kind of the path towards removing the Conservatives from office? And, and if so, I mean, I'm not imagining you're going to announce a Labour Lib Dem pact right now on our sofa. But, <laughs> if, you'd uh, like but if you'd like to... Or, or anywhere else for that matter. Yes, yeah. um, but, you know, is, is, do you think that there's... Because there's been talk about whether maybe Labour sort of slightly soft-pedalled it down in, in Devon and, and, and whether, whether that's actually... A, a path towards removing the Conservatives from office next time round. Either of you want to I think that. it's sort of you know in any. I've been campaigning for the Labour Party now in general elections for nearly twenty years. You know, in any election, you target your resources where you've got best chance of winning. Yeah. You know, and and we're winning a really positive campaign. We've got a really strong candidate in Simon Lightwood. You know, he's been talking to people day in day out. He's got a really positive sort of pledge and plan yeah. uh, for for Wakefield. And actually, that comes out of those conversations and the issues that we're hearing on the doorstep. And you know, that's around tax rises that people are really unhappy with that's 15 Tory tax rises anti-social behaviour and policing uh, you know things like pressure on the NHS and it's, it's the issues you know that I hear in my own patch of Barnsley mm. and uh, you think you know the the, the way of removing the Tories from office is, is to take those not to take seats away from Labour necessarily but to try and take those Tory seats away is that kind of view you think the Lib Dems are going to be targeting next time around yeah I think there's no doubt certainly the events of the last couple of years have really uh, have, have really crystallised in our mind that you know we, we, we want to get rid of this Tory government it's bad for this country uh, for this Tory government to continue and we want to play our part in that and we have we have had some fantastic election results uh, last month in the local elections uh, and obviously we had two really good by-election successes last year yeah um, and uh, you know, I, we we are here to provide an alternative <laughs> to the Tories for the people who feel as strongly as we do that we don't want to see this Tory government continue. I mean, how that plays out 
uh, as we go along, it's, it's you know don't want to make any any kind of predictions. But I yeah. mean, as, as Steph was saying, and 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 even more so because we're a smaller party, we focus our resources where where we think we can win, um, and that's why we're, we're we're playing you know working very hard in in, in Tiverton because we, we do see an opportunity there. I was chatting to a couple of Lib Dems yesterday, and they, and I think this actually made it into the Guardian that. The Lib Dems are currently narrowly behind the Tories. Yes, it sounds like, but I do sounds like expectation management to me. Like, I do remember sure about that. In a run-up to both Chesham and North Shropshire about a week before, the Lib Dems were slightly behind and then, what do you know, went on to um. So is that, your, to is that, is that your prediction then? Uh, no, it's just an observation I thought I'd throw into the mix. It's not, it's not by no means a prediction. We're going to be at Glastonbury uh, anyway, so you're not going to... You know, yeah, yeah, I'll actually be at Glastonbury next week, so uh, I won't be able to join in there. Leaving it to the rest of us to cover the yeah. two by-elections. I'll be in neighbouring Somerset. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I can true. box pop some people about, about the result. Uh, but one of the other things we're talking about, obviously, this week is Lord Geit's resignation. And, and as, uh, you know, I think William Ragg was saying that to lose one ministerial advisor on ethics is sort of careless to lose two. It starts to ask sort of questions, really. And is that part of the things that you're, you're seeing as well? It's not just necessarily a, a criticism of the Conservatives, but actually of Boris Johnson personally and whether he has been unable to, you know, to to hold the trust of the, the people and things like party getting everything else to sort of damage that, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen a complete collapse in trust in Boris Johnson and in this government. And that's obviously very bad for this government, but it's also bad for politics as a whole and for politicians, yeah. you know, across the board. Tends to a scandal, everyone kind of gets a hit, don't they? So I think it is, you know, it's incredibly damaging to, to, the, to the whole of politics. And, and that's why, you know, we've been focused on running a really positive campaign with a positive plan for Wakefield. Mm. Yeah, and, and Sarah, you, similarly, the, the kind of the stuff around Johnson, it's, you know, it doesn't seem like every, seems like there's, it, you can't really get the party gate story out of the headlines, really. We sort of thought it might have been over with a Sue Gray report and then the vote of no confidence, but now Geit resigning. We know there's a privileges committee uh, investigation coming down the line. It feels like we can't really get away from it. No, and actually, the, the, the fault for that, it really very much lies with Boris Johnson himself. I mean, party gate was breaking at about the time when we had the North Shropshire by-election. Yeah. Um, and I just think, you know, if he'd come out at the time and made a kind of like a statement about what had happened, how it had happened, and, and a genuine fulsome apology, which, you know, he's he said the word sorry a few times, but it was very qualified so that it's not quite sure, not quite clear what he's sorry for. Yes. But, you know, if he had, we could have drawn a line under it at the time. But, you know, because he he always does be evasive, he wants to, you know, avoid responsibility, doesn't want to, you know, actually take, responsibility for what he's done you know it, everything has trickled out over the course of a few months he's commissioned the report then the police have investigated i mean i think the entire country and i'm sure that includes you know opposition politicians from every party are sick to death of this now but every day there's something else and it further degrades trust in politics and it affects us all as, yeah. as, as steph was saying and again that was coming through so clearly on the doorsteps not just uh, yesterday when i was in honiton but throughout my the the, the local election campaigns yeah. you know there are some people who are just absolutely furious with boris and there are people who make great sacrifices during the lockdown who feel very very personally affronted by the way he's behaved but for those you know other people it's just a general kind of 
just a lack of trust, as, as Steph was saying, and what it, in, 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 you know, anything that comes out from the, the government now. I mean, well, about thing, Rwanda it, and the Northern yeah, Ireland. And it's, all and viewed, it's just it's impossible prism, to see any of these things as a serious attempt to really, you know, the Northern Ireland thing, that's Liz Truss's leadership campaign, right? And the Rwanda thing is pretty pretty Patel laying out her stall to the right wing. And, and this stuff about imperial measures, that's, that's surely not serious. It's just game playing. And that it, it, it's that sort of thing that everyone's just like, oh, we're just, it's, it's all about keeping on the in Imperial power. measures on the doorstep, are you hearing that people Again, are like, no. out for? Absolutely not, no. I mean, people were genuinely really worried about the cost of living, you yeah. know. You know I had someone stopped me in the street last week to ask about you know fuel prices they're seeing the energy bills go up people are struggling to put food on the table these things are keeping people awake at night they're really concerned about it and they just don't see a government in control with the ideas to solve these these issues and problems yeah and so just finally on the, on the, on the by-election do you think that is essentially where it's going to be won and lost you know we talk about all these other issues do you think cost of living is kind of where it begins and ends for a lot of voters at the moment yeah, I think that is the number one issue. And I think the people in Wakefield uh, have got the opportunity to send a very clear message next week to the government and to sort of finish what Conservative MPs started but didn't finish last week with the vote and a confidence. Must, must re- well, this is exciting. This is live news <laughs> in action. But I'm just reading uh, Lord Geit's letter to Boris Johnson and perhaps the strongest line that I can, I can spot just when I'm like a, a quick cursory glance is he was put in an imp- to quote, an impossible and odious position, mm. which is quite strong language. It's from quite a, florid language for a, from you know a, from you know someone who uh, you know these people are usually quite restrained and um, diplomatic and yeah. And, anyone who watched the, his appearance in front of PACAT committee will know he's quite circuitous with his, <laughs> his language. He he referred to himself yeah. as not an independent advisor, but a free orbiting advisor or something. Asset. He, he was yeah, an free, asset a free orbiting asset, asset, which I think is is great. Like. Um, wouldn't we all love to be that? Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's 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 another you know, it's another thing that's that that's going to be the headlines you know as as they go forward. It, you know, is there anything that the government can do to try and get some positive headlines? Obviously, the, we, the potential for them to lose two by elections next week, and, and how's that going to sort of play out? You know, are we gonna, we're obviously not likely to see another vote of confidence in the prime mm. minister anytime soon. But but you know, where's that going to lead them? Really, it's like thought of the day, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think the Conservative Party is has found itself in this very difficult position whereby a significant number of MPs think that Johnson needs to go, but not enough MPs to make that happen. You know, it's, it's quite hard to get rid of a prime minister, particularly one who really doesn't want to go. And you're going to have to um, drag him out, kicking and, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Um, but then you look at where Downing Street, the prime minister can sort of, we're on the, what reset are we on now? Like reset 19 yeah, or something. Yeah, you, you, you look, how, how can this PM turn it around? And you're looking at the next few months and sort of wargaming where you can do that. What would worry me if I was in Downing Street is that the cost of living package, which Sunak announced recently, and I think pollsters have said so much, like we, we mentioned James Johnson earlier, I think he's made this point, that it hasn't really cut through with the public. And I think it's because the government now, when you lose trust of the public it's really hard to rebuild it and that sense of this government not being trusted of being dishonest now permeates other things so it permeates cost of living it, it and, I, and i think it's, it's very much linked to delivery yeah i think the trust element is very much linked to delivery i don't think they're mutually um exclusive so it, I, and, and you look ahead as well i obviously 
taking one's professional hat off. I hope this isn't the case, but it looks like the cost of living situation is probably going to get worse over the next few months with global inflationary pressures um, seem to be going in, in that direction, fuel and energy prices going up. Um, so it's difficult to see how this prime minister can turn it around. But the caveat is that this prime minister perhaps is strongest um personal characteristic he's a survivalist he the proverbial he manages to to (laughs) wriggle himself out of this seemingly intractable impossible um situation but it will be important to see these two by-elections next week if the tory big if if the conservatives lose them both it'll be interesting to see um if the uh, the dial is sort of yeah, well, essentially because obviously that Labour and Lib Dems have done such a good job already that it seems to be sort of priced in almost in 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 Westminster they're going to to lose those those two. So I guess we'll we'll have to kind of see how that goes. Obviously, you'd like to finish on a nice positive note as you were talking about the inflationary pressures there. It's and you know global headwinds and stuff. It's uh, it's always a nice way to uh, to discuss that. You yeah, know. I think what's in, what's interesting is cost of living is now part of like the public lexicon. Yeah, like everyone's talking about cost of living. Like it used to be sort of like quite a niche, not esoteric, but quite a, like economic yeah sort of a technical term and now everyone is talking about cost living which i guess is indicative of how big and uh, all-encompassing issue it is it's affecting absolutely everybody at the moment or the vast majority at least sadly that's all we've got time for this week but you can read more on all the biggest Westminster stories at politicshome.com and keep up to date by subscribing to our seven day a week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right corner on the website thanks so much to our fantastic guests sarah olney and stephanie peacock and to my colleague Adam Payne, our editor this week has been Laura Silver. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date. If you've enjoyed it, then please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a wonderful weekend and be sure to listen again next week. I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown. <laughs>